What's up, boys and girls? Thank you for tuning in to the Josh Belcher Experience. I'm your host, Josh Belcher. Remember, this podcast is unique, just like all the other ones you listen to. The only thing that truly sets us apart is your host has an ADHD-driven mind, followed by a splash of bipolar tendencies. Now sit back, relax, hold on to your seats, and let's get this party started. This week in history marks the 99th anniversary of women's suffrage. And we're all aware about women's suffrage, the right to vote, etc., so on and so forth. But some people don't know, and then some people do, that it actually came down to one vote right here in my beloved state of Tennessee. Uh, Harry T. Burns um, got a letter from his mother about the ratification of the 19th Amendment in Tennessee. Uh, she said, don't forget to be a good boy and make the right decision. Now, um, this is an interesting thing because uh, it came down to his one vote. And I'm going to read uh, a little story for you that I found online. And I uh, hope you enjoy it because it's a really neat little tale. On a hot and muggy summer morning in the month of August 1920, 99 years ago, a young, well, 2019, excuse me. 19, okay. A young 24-year-old Republican lawmaker from McMinn County in the Southern Valley of East Tennessee changed his nay vote to an I during a critical final ballot to decide the fate on ratification of the 19th Amendment to the United States Constitution. Burns' momentous decision to vote in favor of women's suffrage not only secured the elusive victory that suffragists had sought since the Seneca Falls Convention of 1848, but also secured a place for both Byrne and his widowed mother, Feb Emsinger Byrne, in American history as they delivered Tennessee as the perfect 36th state to ratify the 19th Amendment. On Friday, August 18th, Tennessee House Uh, deliberated a joint resolution for ratification on the 19th Amendment that had recently passed in the state Senate. Several legislators rose from their desks to deliver impassionate speeches that merely recounted the age-old arguments waged by suffragists and anti-suffragists for and against women's suffrage. After a lengthy debate, House Speaker Seth Walker proclaimed anti, boldly proclaimed, and I quote, The hour has come, the battle has been fought and won, and I move that the motion to conquer and the concur, excuse me, and the Senate action goes where it belongs to the table. A deaf silence blanketed the chamber as the motion was put forth on the House floor to table the amendment. Tantamount to its death as the bill would be held over until the next legislative session convened after the fall elections. In the midst of the excitement, no one can discern the inner turmoil that waged within Harry Byrne's mind. Sitting in his chair in the third row to the right of the rostrum, Byrne adorned a red rose with the symbol of the Antis on his jacket lapel. His constituents back home in McMinn County were bitterly divided. An ever-increasing majority of public opinion in the county was turning against women's suffrage. He also faced re-election in the upcoming fall election and deciding vote either way may cost him the votes needed to secure his seat in the next session of the General Assembly. Therefore, Burns was content to vote in favor of tabling the amendment. 
when the House clerk reached his name, the seventh on the list of 96 in attendance, Byrne voted with the antis to table the amendment. I had voted to table the amendment, he later explained, not in opposition, but in hopes that it would come up again in the next session. The vote was 48 to 48. Speaker Wallace demanded a recount again. The vote was deadlocked at 48 to 48. Therefore, the amendment remained alive on the House floor. Speaker Wallace then moved to reconsider the original motion, a vote on the 19th Amendment. Now Byrne was faced with a decision he had hoped he would not have to confront as a declining vote on whether or not the 19th Amendment became the law of the land. Unbeknownst to his fellow colleagues, Byrne carried a letter from his mother in his breast pocket that admonished him to vote in favor of the amendment. Now where this is beautiful is, it just shows the, uh, the bond and how important women are to men in general. I mean, we couldn't do without you ladies. You provide life. Um, you take care of us. I mean, we're nothing without women. So this vote was very important and delivering, deservingly so. You should have every right that any guy does and ten times over for what you've done to bring life into this world. Uh, every man that's here on earth is because a great woman put him there. I salute my mother. I have two daughters and all my friends and relatives that are females. Um, my hat's off to you. Uh, you're the strongest people I've ever known uh, in abundance. And I adore you. And that's why this, um, you know, talking about this tale and why it's so important. Because it came down to one 24-year-old man who carried a letter from his beloved mother who had told him how important this was and why he needed to make the right decision. If I can deliver the rest of this without crying, I will have done something <laughs> for this podcast. <clears throat> okay, as we continue. Byrne's mother, strong-willed widow of a farmer, covered the woman's suffrage debate from their home when not milking cows, churning butter, cleaning and mending for her family by reading four newspapers and a dozen magazines that she subscribed to. Feb, F-E-B-B, Byrne is her name, would later tell a reporter, Suffrage has interested me for years. I like the suffrage militants as well as the others. But after having read a barrage of bitter anti-speeches published in the papers and realized that her son's constituents in McMinn County were fiercely in opposition to women's suffrage, Mrs. Byrne maintained that she felt compelled to force the issue. She said, I sat down on my little chair on the front porch and pinned a few lines to my son. I'm getting choked up. In fact, Feb Byrne wrote more than a few lines in regards to supporting ratification, which were interspersed among other family members in a seven-page letter to Harry. This is kind of the bulk of what she said. Um, Dear son, hurry and vote for suffrage and don't keep them in doubt. I noticed Chandler's speech. It was very bitter. I've been waiting to see how you stood but have not seen anything yet. Don't forget to be a good boy and help. Mrs. Cat with her rats. Is she the one that put rat in ratification? Ha! with an exclamation point. No more for Mama this time. With lots of love, Mama. Woo! Getting, getting uh, emotional. But anyway, Byrne had read and reread the words from his mother that had just received and hoped that he would not have to take a definitive stand on the measure until after the election. In fact, Byrne had earlier told a prominent suffragist lobbyist that his vote would never hurt their cause, which led Maine to believe he was in fact a supporter of women's suffrage, but a legislator conflicted by the will of his constituents. Despite his pledge to his suffragists, 
Byrne did not believe that he would ever have to take a definitive stand on the issue at this point in time. Nevertheless, when the Antis made a move to kill the bill by calling for a vote in the amendment itself, Burns faced a moral dilemma. To vote against the amendment and remain faithful to his anti-constituents in light of his upcoming re-election campaign, or remain faithful to the wishes of his dear mother. The House clerk proceeded to call the roll for the third time, this time a vote to decide the fate of the 19th Amendment in Tennessee. When the clerk called his name, Byrne voted aye. His vote came so quickly, so unexpectedly, that many in the galleries on the House floor were caught off guard. Several thought that the young Republican freshman had innocently become confused by the prior two votes and meant to vote nay instead of aye. Indeed, Byrne had made no mistake. He had cast his ballot for women's suffrage and thus cast the key ballot in the 49 to 47 vote that made the amendment the supreme law of the land. So it came down to one young man who inevitably did what's right, all because of the respect and love for his mother. So here's uh, to 99 years of it. Uh, it happened in history, and I just wanted to bring it up because the final vote came down to a son and a letter from his mother which he carried in his pocket which is proudly on display now at the University of Tennessee so hats off to Harry Byrne and 99 years of women's suffrage um, every once in a while I'm gonna you know do a little history tutorial for you something that intrigues me and I just always love that story as a man who was privileged to uh, have a fantastic mother in his life and two young daughters uh, I'm all about uh, women getting after it uh, so thank you for letting me uh, tell you a little bit about it, and I hope you enjoyed this portion, and it enlightened you a little bit. Okay, thanks. I had a really fun interview this week with country sister singers Presley and Taylor. They called in to discuss their brand new single, Everybody Wanna Be Us, that dropped to country radio August 12th. It'll be available for digital download August 30th. Myself alongside Sam Madewell interviewed them as they told us this was their first ever podcast and they were a delight to talk to and we were really glad to have them. So stick around. It's coming up next. The brand new one from Presley and Taylor just released. This one's called Everybody Wanna Be Us. Groovy tune. Check it out. Have you guys been uh, interviewing all day about this? 
have. It's been a big day, but we're so excited to be sitting here talking with you guys. Yeah, today. and this is actually our first podcast, so oh we're, my really... gosh, we're honored oh. to have you. It's it's uh, it's ours, but we feel like it's the first every time. It's exciting equally every time for me and Samuel here. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, so with Country Radio today, August twelfth, that's awesome. Digital release August thirtieth. Um, let's talk about let's talk about this song. It's got some uh, dynamite um, flat going with it. It's got a great uh, songwriting crew. Tell us why you decided to make this your new single. Absolutely. So we love this song. Um, we went to the studio with James Stroud and Keith Burns of Trick, and they co-produced it. Um, we chose this song just because it was so fun-loving and passionate and just full of fire, and, like, it just had so much attitude and energy, and we just fell in love with it the second we heard it, and we really feel like we made it our own, and it's just our version of a love song. Awesome. Yeah, that is really, really cool. So, um, yeah, what was the process like, uh, like, dual uh, producers? How What was that like? Yeah, it's awesome because you have so many people to throw ideas off of, and, they were so sweet and just including Taylor and the whole Taylor and I in the whole entire process and you know the sound that we went for was more of like a full band sound which is kind of cool and a little bit different uh, for on the radio today but it was just such a fun process and we had great creative minds to work with throughout throughout the whole process absolutely and we love the result and we are so excited that people are can start hearing it on radio yeah, today finally finally <laughs> and um. And on August 30th, we're excited it's going to be available for download. We just can't wait for people to hear it at this point. Yeah, right on. I got a couple questions. Um, So uh, for the the actual playing of music, how long have you guys been doing this? Yeah, so we're sisters. So we've been, like, singing together since we were little girls, like, in our car seats, babies. Um, Yeah. But professionally, we started – kind of pursuing our career about six and a half years ago now. We've been cool. at it for a while. And better well, um, here, I hope. <laughs> we see you're based out in Nashville. Where are you guys actually from? Yeah, we are based out in Nashville, but we're originally from Connecticut. Oh, cool. Okay. So uh, okay. how Nashville treated you? Oh, my gosh. We, we love, love it. it. <laughs> we're obsessed. <laughs> yeah, it's really become, like, a second home to us. Um and we've just gotten the opportunity to be able to explore Nashville so much and make it a comfortable place in our home over the past six years. Cool. Yeah. Um, so we just be in there. We love it. It's such a All cool right, place. Um, <laughs> Music and energy, and we just love it. Yeah, well, we're glad to have you. Uh, you girls are taking it by storm. And if you ever need a mandolin player, my buddy Sam is ready, willing, and available at base out of Nashville. Hey, that's awesome. Oh, my God, we'll get your info after this. That's yes. awesome. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's get back to this song because I'm intrigued by it. I really dig it. It's penned by some powerhouse songwriters. I mean, how do you, what's your process for picking these songs? Like, you just look at your credentials on them and like, okay, this is a guaranteed winner. I mean, because it seems like you're picking winners every song you do. Yeah, <laughs> that is a great so compliment. Funny. That's yeah, that is a great compliment because um, during our pre-production process, when we were picking our songs and everything. We actually, Presley and I were pinching ourselves the whole time because the CD we got from the publishing company with um, all the demos on it, we were um, listening to these demos and looking at the writers, and we were like, oh, my gosh, like, these are just amazing writers. With, yeah, we had, like, Miranda Lambert on one song. There was Casey a, Musgrave. Oh, wow. And yeah. Randy yeah. Clark. Yeah, heavy hitters. We, and, we were yeah. pinching ourselves. So that's a really great compliment. And the writers on this song – 
wrote for, you know, Darius Rucker and Jason Aldean and faced, like, so many, just so many. Um, so we, we feel blessed to be able to record. Yeah. It's, it's one of my favorite parts, honestly, is being able to choose songs. My sister and I, we write a little bit. It's not our main focus. Um, so we're really good at listening and kind of hearing for those songs that we think are going to, you know, have a broad audience and people are going to love and I I think it's one of the and things we're really Yeah, I think it's one of the things we're really good at is picking songs that fit us really well and that we hope, you know, kind of fit kind in of with other it yours. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we have a huge part of when you get the demo, it's very broken down, it's pretty much acoustic and we have a huge part of kind of the music and the instrumentation and how the verses and the choruses are going to go and we've been known to like change up little choruses and do things like that so we we are really excited about making the songs our own absolutely uh well another thing i wanted to compliment you with your sibling harmonies i mean you've got what they're lacking in country music right now it's kind of like i know your sisters but like a judge still where you can tell it it's family vibes going together that is oh, so sweet. Thank yeah. You. I mean, it's definitely like a natural thing that we've always kind of had since we were little girls. But, I mean, we've really started to hone what we do, and we practice really hard. Uh, so, in our like, if you see us live, like, we have really strong harmonies. We have our band works with us to harmonize with us. So, it's like mm-hmm. a really full set. Like yeah. you said, you don't get too too often anymore. Yeah, we appreciate that compliment because we do work so hard at it. Oh. and. Um, Hopefully, you know, it's coming through. So we appreciate it when someone... Oh, uh, yeah, it shows. Thank you. So, so uh, what um, <clears throat> tour-wise, what do you guys got lined up? Uh, we have been playing like crazy this summer. We actually just got off a three-week run um, where we played a couple of Country Thunders. And we played in Nashville, and we have a lot of fairs and festivals this season. Um, coming up, our next show is in New Jersey. Well, we're just all over Atlanta. the place. <laughs> I think we're going to Atlanta after that, and then back to Nashville. Pennsylvania, Nashville. Um, but you can check out our tour schedule on PresleyandTaylor.com. Nice, nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're trying to. We're, yeah, we're we're going to try to catch a show when you get back to Nashville. But yeah, it seems like you guys are putting thumbtacks all over the map. So that's that's awesome. <laughs> we're trying to. Yeah, we we're we're working hard at it and. Live is like such. Well, it's it's one of our favorite parts to do together in all of this, and it's really rewarding to be able to get out there and share what you've been working on in the studio and see everyone's reaction. So it's really just one of the things we love about doing music, and yeah, so we love yeah. the tour. Keep on keeping on. Um, I, I got a, another uh, question for you. Um, so what kind of advice could you give to young artists? trying to make it in the national scene, you know, it's it's ever growing harder to get, uh, you know, noticed and whatnot. Do you have any advice to give out, to share? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're definitely, you know, still the oh. uphill climb. So, but, I, like, as far as giving advice, I would just say stay true to yourself. Nice. Um, really focus on, you know, your craft and getting yeah. better at Definitely whatever your craft you. is. Like work the work ethic. Your work ethic is really important. And just put your head down and work hard and do what you love. And That's great, yes. Thanks. <laughs> very, well, very well put. Uh, you you uh, ladies are, are very well-rounded. It, it's good to hear people in country music who are, you know, really in it for the authenticity of the music. And I don't see anything but, like, things just keep growing for you. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, and we're excited. We can't wait for everybody to check out this song, and we'll catch you when you get back to Nashville. Girls, thank you for your time. I know you've had a busy day, and we're very proud that this is the first podcast. When we, yeah. yeah. When we get it up and running, we'll we'll tweet it to you or Instagram it or however we do it. You can share it if you want. If not, that's cool, too. Uh, Perfect. No, we will. Josh Belcher Experience, Sam Madewell, and myself. What's going on? Um, we're doing a new segment called the Yetisburg Address, where we're going to be talking about Bigfoot, Sasquatch. Um, he's got many names uh, and things of paranormal activity. Uh, this week we've got John Bruner. He is the foremost expert on Bigfoot in North Carolina. He has a Facebook page, Bigfoot 911, with over 13,000 members. He is the head of the Western North Carolina Bigfoot Festival coming to North Carolina September 14th. Already sold out 150 of their vendor spots. They've already got 50,000 people headed there from all over the world, not just North Carolina. Uh, and me and Sam talked to him, and he had an actual uh, eyewitness account of Bigfoot. Now, the reason we started this, Sam Madewell is really passionate about Sasquatch and has claimed he's seen him. I'm more on the skeptical side. I'm non-biased because I want to respect people that talk about it. Um, just an inter- interesting interview, any way you look at it. Uh, Sam, your thoughts on uh, talking to Mr. Mr. Brunner? I thought it was awesome. Uh, really fun. Excited to uh, hear more about the, the North Carolina festival going on there. Yeah, very cool. And like I said, the story the uh, the story he told us, or his eyewitness account, um, you know, coming from a non-biased person who doesn't necessarily believe in this, uh, it did not seem like he was lying. Very genuine. He had dates and times. And like I said, fifty thousand people are going to see this. So whether you believe it or not, there's something to it. Wouldn't you agree? I, w- I would. Yeah. So um, if you listen to it and like it, uh, shoot us an uh, email at joshbelcher at hotmail.com about your thoughts or anybody you think would might like to talk. Like I said, it doesn't have to just be Bigfoot. It can be anything paranormal you've experienced. Uh, and we're going to continue rolling with it if we get you know plenty of positive feedback. And uh, you know, stay tuned. John Bruner is coming up next. Bruner from Bigfoot 911, 911, excuse me, uh, here on the first edition of the uh, podcast portion we're calling the Yettysburg Address. How are you doing uh, today, sir? And thank you for calling us. Hey, doing good. How are you guys? We're great. Wonderful. Um, you know, we're really, we're really excited. Uh, Sam Harris had some encounters with Sasquatch and was bringing me up to speed. And then, you know, we were looking up people to have on our first go around and you showed up, and, and, and this is a big, successful thing, and, and we're just glad to talk to you. And could you just tell us about this event you've got coming up September 14th, if you don't mind? Yeah, um, it's the uh, WNC Bigfoot Festival being held in Marion, North Carolina, uh, on Saturday, September 14th. Uh, this will be our second year. Uh, last year, we were a little overwhelmed. We I, I was thinking we may have about 8,000 people, and we had about 40,000 show up. Wow. Um, so this year, we started planning uh, January 2nd, and it's been an everyday thing, and, and we've got a really good festival. Uh, Cliff from Finding Bigfoot's going to be here with us. Wow. Uh Yeah. Uh, Lee Woods is going to be here with us. The Asheville Cryptoid Society is going to be here. We've got a lot of Bigfoot uh, people. Um, Doug Teague and Dwight Campbell are going to be here. Plus, we have um, 
192 vendors this year. Wow. Which is double from what we had last year, and all of the vendors have to sell something Bigfoot, and even the the food vendors, I'm making them name their stuff after Bigfoot. Oh, that's awesome, <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, we... Uh, we we needless to say, you know, we're a small town. Uh there's a, our county population is forty six thousand, so we doubled the population for a day last year. And we're expecting around fifty thousand this year. That's amazing. My next question for you was I mean, obviously, because I saw where all your vendors are booked like you had just mentioned, but um there's gotta be something to this for this many people from all over the world, all over the country to just coagulate North Carolina. What 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 is it about Sasquatch and Bigfoot? I mean, surely this many people that have had this many encounters, there's gotta be something to it. Absolutely. Um and you know, I ran I run the Bigfoot Nine One One and we got a Facebook page with about thirteen thousand members worldwide. And, you know, it's it's a no troll zone. Uh I give people a place to tell their stories without being ridiculed. And I think that that's what uh, the big difference is now as opposed to 10 years ago. Uh, 10 years ago, folks just wouldn't talk about it because, you know, it was just, it was taboo. Yep. You know, you, you were thought of, of being deranged or something. Uh-huh. And today, it it's it has its own platform now and and people are not afraid anymore to say yeah i seen one yeah let me tell you about it well, why do you think that is john do you think that's just because of uh, podcasts and uh internet access and people being able to get out and sort of uh let their stories out do you think that has a lot to do with the uh unveiling yeah. the unveiling of it i think it's 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 because of guys like you who give people um, the platform to stand on. And, and you know, of course, there's been a lot on TV, you know, a lot of TV yeah. stuff. Uh, the Internet, it just explodes with it. And, you know, I think, I think that people say, you know, see that and say, hey, you know, I'm not crazy. Right. There's other people out there that's seeing the same stuff. That's right. Um, I find it interesting, uh, you know, I was telling Josh here that um, there's like 150, 200 different words for this animal, this creature. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's not 200 different words for mermaids or leprechauns or any of these other stuff that people seem to think is not real. So, And there's always been historical accounts of it, you know. Mm-hmm. I find I think that has a lot to do with it, too. Uh, um, well, how about you tell us your encounter, uh, just a little something, you know, how that okay. Happened. How'd that come about? Okay, it was uh, we we had been we established Bigfoot 901 as a team in 2014, mm-hmm. and it it started with me and my three sons. But I had actually been doing research for about 40 years. Wow! Since wow. since I was 12 years old. Yeah. And um, we uh, we were at one of our our uh, research areas. And it was August the 5th of 2017, and it was about 11.45 at night. We had been hearing something parallel us. We were walking on a forest service road, and we had been hearing something parallel us in the woods. 
and that is common Bigfoot behavior because they yeah. will not get on the roads or the trails, but they will parallel them. Yeah. And so we had stopped, myself and two other team members, we had stopped, and I saw something up ahead of us step out into the road, and I flipped on my headlamp. And when I go, when we go in the woods, we have 10,000 uh, lumen headlamps. We don't have the, the little Walmart brands, you know. Right. We have the big ones. <laughs> and it, it never even looked. It crossed the road in one step and into the woods on the other side, and I took off to where it went into the woods. I followed into the woods. I went into the woods probably about 50 yards and stopped so I could hear. I didn't hear nothing. And the guys that were with me were coming up behind me, and I said, look up in the trees. Mm -hmm. And so they were doing that. They were probably 30 yards behind me, and they were doing that. And I panned to the right, and it was standing about 20 yards from me, and it had its right arm up on a tree just, just looking at me. How tall do you reckon that was, John? Well, in uh, our we we went back and done recreations with measurements and stuff, and it was almost nine feet tall. Let me tell you, he was huge, and and you know people want to know, well, what did it look like? And I can tell you exactly what it looked like because I was a a nationally registered paramedic for twenty eight years, so I have very good assessment skills. Mm-hmm. It's hair was stringy and matted. It really didn't look like what I assumed in my mind it would look like, but it right. looked like, kind of reminded you of a wet dog, and there was no hair on the face at all, none. It was it was just totally, it looked like a piece of leather, piece of black leather. Its nose was completely flat. I could literally see up its nostrils. Wow. But the thing that that is most amazing to me is there's lots of theories about Bigfoot, paranormal, you know, everything. I watched that thing breathing. I watched it breathe. And when it turned to walk off, which was about 10 seconds, I seen the muscles flex in its right hip. Yeah, yeah I've heard that too. Um, I've heard the same thing about seeing the, the tendons and muscles, you know, and a lot of the things I, that I've talked to my buddies about, you know, they they ask, where where are the where are the pictures or where are the where are the people seeing them if they're out there? Well, um, a lot of people, you're just telling us our your story. You know, I have mm-hmm. a story, and people can either choose to believe it or not. But that's where that's where they're being uh, seen. You know, and mm-hmm. I find it interesting too that uh, a lot of the encounters comes from hunters because they're they're the ones out in the woods. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say, well, yeah, that, how do you know that's just not some sort of guy in a, a ghillie suit, uh, a big gorilla suit? Well, who? how many people are literally going to go out during hunting season in a big monkey suit? Right. You no, know, that's something I've always thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I bring up, and, I, and I wanna, you know, uh, and plus, how how come, like you said, 13,000 people, your Bigfoot, uh, 911 on Facebook, how how – there wouldn't be that many people making up a story right. like like you sound like you're telling a legit truth. I mean, you don't sound like you're fumbling. You had the date and the exactly. time. Exactly. I mean, there's got to there's got to be something to it. Exactly, and you know, guys, I'll tell you what. I've been doing this so long. I am so far past. Are they real or not? Yeah, right. I know they're real. Yeah. 
And what I want to know now is how do they live? How do they how do they function within a family unit? What do they eat? When do they eat? Where do they sleep? How do they get along with each other? That's where my research is right now. I am just so far past are they real or not. Exactly. You know, well, it's, it's when I talk to friends or family or just coworkers, you know, um, when I had my encounter, I, I didn't realize what it was till many, many years later and hearing an actual podcast of literally the same thing that happened to me happened to these people and they just stuck around and that's when they had face-to-face encounters. And it yeah. chills up my spine. Uh-huh. And it's, I've never really been the same since, you know. And when you uh, – I think what it is, uh, a lot of people – and I, I've, I've even talked to my father about this. Like, how many people are literally going out in the woods? Everybody are just in society or just are encapsulated in, you know, highways, and we all have jobs, and not that many people go out in the woods anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. And those are the people seeing it. So when people say, well, where is the encounters at? Well, they, they tell you, you know, and mm-hmm. I find that pretty interesting. Um, I, and uh, mo- most, most encounters that, that are reported are by chance. Or by accident, right. you know these people wasn't hunting Bigfoot. They just happened to see one on the side of the road as they was exactly. driving by. What about the the story we heard not too long ago or read where somebody tried to open fire on one? Wasn't that in North Carolina? Um, no, that was in uh, Ohio, I believe. Wherever the Mammoth Caves are at, that was that is, where, that's Kentucky. Yeah, Kentucky. That's where that was at. Hmm. Yeah, because some guy they literally had to call nine one one because the guy opened fire when he saw it. Right here, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, like I said, thank you for your time, and we're really excited. Uh, where, where can people get more information if they're wanting to come up over to see you there at the Bigfoot? Uh, if if they want to, too, they can go on Facebook and look at WNC Bigfoot Festival. It has its own Facebook page. They can also uh, get information uh, from Facebook on Bigfoot 911, or they can go to Bigfoot or Bigfoot-911.com. That's our website, and we have uh, information posted there as well. All right. Well, uh, Mr. Brunner, thank you for your time, and, and, and you're going to have a very big success, and there's got to be something to it as it continues to grow, and uh, uh, you have a great rest of your evening, and thank you again so much. We'll keep yeah, where are you guys at? Uh, we're in, we're close to Nashville, Middle Tennessee. Really? That's not but about four hours away. Y'all ought to try to come. I know. We're I'm, thinking about yeah. it. Yeah, we're thinking hard. Yeah, if you do, just let me know, and we'll hook up there and and talk some more. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you. All right. Y'all have a good night. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Coming up on the Josh Belcher Experience, had a very insightful interview with comedian Ross Bennett, who is coming to Zany's Nashville Thursday, October 17th, with his show called Comedy. For the rest of us at 6.30 p.m., you can get your tickets at zaniesnashville.com. Talked about a 40-year career in comedy, ups and downs, some people he's met along the way. Just a very uh, articulate and uh, fun-filled interview. Uh, It's right around the corner. Enjoy. Now where I'm from, there's two kinds of guys. Two kinds of guys. Guys who go hunting and guys who go... Hunting. Do you know the difference between hunting and hunting? Hunting is actually done for the good of the animals. You must kill some deer in the fall for there'll be enough food for the rest of the winter. That's hunting. Hunting? That's 
little different. Hunting involves liquor and flashlights. If you've ever been on a two-lane county road and see a sign with a bunch of bullet holes, that's hunting right there. All right. Uh, really super excited to be speaking to Ross Bennett, bringing his comedy show, Comedy for the Rest of Us, to Zany's Nashville, Thursday, October 17th at 6.30. Ross Bennett, thank you for taking the time to talk to us here in Nashville. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, Josh. Thanks for asking me on. Yeah, we're uh, very uh, privileged to have you. Glad you're coming to town. Um, just got wind that you uh, you have a uh, brand new comedy special for Dry Bar coming out. Could you discuss that with us for a little bit? Are you familiar with Dry Bar? Uh, yes, sir. I've seen Jeff Allen's performance. Uh, was really really thought that was a great thing, and then found out you were doing one and thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, Dry Bar. Um, you know they they produce and distribute uh, via the, the internet clean comedy specials. Yes. And I think they've been doing it for like four years now. And, and um, you know, there's so many people out there who this is what they want. You know, I, I was hearing that there's over 100 million people who are looking, in the United States, who are looking for clean comedy. Okay? Uh -huh. I mean, I think that's why guys like, you know, Gaffigan and uh, Brian Regan are so popular because people are starved for quality clean comedy. So uh, I had the opportunity to do this thing. I actually taped it last, um, I think last March, and it's going to be dropping anytime soon. It's <laughs> That's awesome. Let's say that the pregnancy is now full term, okay? <laughs> so it's going to be dropping pretty soon. And, um, and then we have uh, arranged a number of uh, live performances throughout the fall around the country and we're the, the hope is that I'm going to solidify more people who specifically want to come out and see my show and and Zanies which is a town I used to work in quite a bit oh yeah back in back in the day um uh Nashville and and working at Zanies there um I'm going to be doing this show uh in October and I'm really looking forward to it it's on it's on Thursday the 15th uh, the No 15th. no 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 that's that's today <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the seventeenth. <laughs> it's on in October. It's it's Thursday, October seventeenth yes. at six thirty. Yes, sir. That's correct. Yeah, and and I like the name for the rest of us because what appeals me to your brand of comedy is, like you said, um, anybody can enjoy it. It's it it, it and it, to me, it takes a lot of talent as a comic, uh, you know, and, and credits to you to be able to deliver good, funny sets and be clean with it. It, it seems like that would be a task in itself. Uh, can you, you tell us more? You know, could tell us a little more about that. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not a prude. Okay, I mean, let, let's be honest. I've I've worked for 40 years, and so I can pretty <laughs> much guarantee you, I pretty much said everything on stage that can be said. Okay. Okay. And um, uh, but a number of years ago, I just the guts of what I did on stage, what the guts of my act has always been clean. Okay. Uh -huh. And uh, but because I was in comedy clubs and this kind of stuff, there was always five percent, ten percent that you know was more adult in content. And because uh, I had to survive on the, in those clubs, you know, I mean, I had a, yeah. I had a sort of, and I was always ultimately entertaining the club's audience and not my audience. 
Okay. I hear you. Mm-hmm. I mean, a beautiful, the beautiful thing about a guy like Jeff Allen is, is with him, he has really developed a, a significant audience that comes out and they want to see him. Okay. But a guy like me, I was, there was always people out there who wanted to see me, but a big part of my of the audience was always the people who would go to the club no matter what. Uh-huh. And they often expected, uh, uh, some more adult material, and I gave it to him. You know what? What can I say? You know, I'm, I'm yeah. just, I'm just, I'm just human, Josh. I'm just, a, I'm just <laughs> yeah. a regular guy. I'm just a human being. I'm flawed. Okay. Yes, so anyway, um, but in recent years, I've focused on just doing a, a clean show, and um, I, I, you know, I live up in the uh, New York City area. I actually, um, and um, I teach a class in the city. I teach a writing class. Nice. And all of these young comics, and some of them aren't as young, but you know they're all trying to get into the game or whatever you know at their, whatever level they're at. Sure. Uh, there's always that segment that want to work dirty, and I always tell them, I said, you know, let's try and work clean. I said, if you can learn how to create humor, create jokes that are clean, that are based on you know really being clever, smart jokes, then if later down the line, if you want to do blue material. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, at least the jokes that underlie it are going to be smart. They're going to be, you know, you know, they're going to be quality jokes. You know, I, I, I was very fortunate. Um, in the early '80s, I was living out in uh, Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and I was uh, a regular comic at the Comedy Store when Richard Pryor was putting together his his, his famous. Um, Concert films, okay. Wow, that's and so I, cool. And I and I got to see him in the summer of I don't know eighty one or so, maybe eighty eighty one. Put together the um, the special live on Sunset Strip. Wow, that's awesome. And I saw him develop it over the course of like two or three months, uh-huh. and it was amazing. And even though he, you know, he used adult language, he used street language, okay. The underlying jokes are all strong jokes, okay? Mm-hmm. But what happens, a lot of young comics would see that and they would only hear the words, you know, the, the, the profanity. That's all they would hear. And they would think that that was the humor. And then you would get these guys who would come into the clubs and that's all they were doing was saying all this stuff. But there was no underlying humor to it. There was no underlying jokes, really. They were just going for shock for shock responses. So... Um, uh, I have always worked on trying to have – basically, I, I always wanted my material to be stuff that entertained me, uh-huh. you know, because I always, liked, I always liked smart jokes, clever jokes. Yeah. And um, I don't know. Did I answer your question, Josh? Yeah. And, uh, well, you, you, you actually outlined some more stuff that I, I, I was enjoying uh, talking because of – Right before you called, I watched uh, one of your appearances on David Letterman, which was, I mean, how cool is that? But yeah. uh, what you what you said that I thought, because like you said, it was intelligent humor, is like how you're describing like the the, the noises you make while you're doing activities. That it's just it, the the thought that was put into that. It was clever, and like you you appreciate the thought that was put into it, and then the punchline when it gets there is just that much sweeter because you know it, it's like thought provoking and i just think that's part of your brilliance and and uh, you know i really respect that about your your uh, your craft the way you uh, personify your stand up is what i was trying to say you know one of the one of the you know you you get into this game 
I got into this when I was I was in the army and I was a, I was a cadet at West Point and I was um 22 years I was 22 years old uh in 1977 I was 22 years old and I was 21 getting ready to turn 22 and I got I I just I didn't want to I didn't want to be in the army anymore I wanted to be a comic you know I mean it was it was that part of American history when Saturday Night Live had just started and Steve was the biggest comic in the world we all had grown up watching um uh, George Carlin, and I just and and, and there was comics like, um, uh, like Leno and the like, and Robert Klein, who I just wanted to be part of that world. Uh-huh. Okay, and so I, I abandoned everything, and uh, I resigned from the academy in my second year, and I broke off to become this thing. And you and you do this wanting to be the next big star you do this you know i i've seen the guys who who did become the next big star you know the the robin williams the jim carrey the sam kinnison uh these these people who just exploded on the scene okay Uh um but for those of us who didn't explode on the scene it doesn't mean there wasn't a career for us it's just we, we we weren't we weren't household names but you still hold out hope (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a great thing, you know. You still hold out hope. You never know what's going to happen. Uh-huh. And my um, uh, answer, what was the question? I'm, I have a hard time with that. I get, I, I get rambling on this. I well, you're an interesting person. I just enjoy listening to you. But um, you know, I, you're mentioning uh, serving. I, I want to say personally, you know, thank you for your service uh, in, in any format. We are grateful that you did that, and I always honor my my vets. So thank you for. You know, taking the time. Well, thanks. To you know, Josh. The truth is, I was just an idiot. I was I was 18 years old, and I was actually in a different college. I was at the University of Florida. Go Gators! <laughs> yeah, Go Gators! Yeah. Uh, and um, I was uh, a freshman, and I was completely lost, Josh. Completely lost, <laughs> and um, I wanted to get out. And but my parents, my dad was very strict, and he was. He insisted that I gra- that I go to college and I graduate from college, uh-huh. and um, and I and I was lost at this place and I wanted out, and so I, without their knowledge, I enlisted in the army. Oh wow! And for me, enlisting in the army was kind of like uh, joining the French Foreign Legion. You know, it was it was just it was my escape <laughs> from the world from from the life I was living and the world I was in. It was my escape. And uh, it was after I got, you know, I went to, to basic training in Fort Knox, Kentucky. And it was oh. while I was there that uh, some different things in the universe lined up that ended up sending me to West Point a couple of years later. So I went to West Point. Uh, there were certain appointments to the academy that were given to enlisted men, okay? Okay. Um, and that's that's how I ended up at the academy. Uh, but, you know, when I was in the Army, I... I don't. Yeah. I don't know what I was doing. I was an <laughs> idiot. I swear. I swear I was an idiot. I just showed up, and I just. I was just trying to escape. After the army, any they didn't get more than a couple of weeks of work out of me. Everything else, they just trained me. And uh, I almost feel I need to apologize publicly. You know, I got a joke. I got a joke in my act. But um, uh, I left West Point to become a comedian. 
probably the greatest service I will have ever done for my country. <laughs> was was leaving to pursue comedy. That's yeah. great. Um, you're we're talking about Florida. Like I'm, a, I'm a huge Florida football fan as well as you know the college in general. There's another uh, comedian that went there. It was on Saturday Night Live that uh, attended the University of Florida. And my mind draws a blank, but he does a lot of impressions. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. All right, he was <laughs> he was on SNL like in the 90s up through the 2000s, and uh, my mind just draws a blank. But uh, he's a pretty funny guy. He, uh, I remember he he did um, Sean Connery on the Jeopardy segment, and but I like. Oh, you're talking about Daryl Hammond. That's it. He was a Gator. That's right. I didn't know he was a Gator. He sure was. You have to talk to him about it sometime. I met him a few times, quite a few times. Um, I was doing a lot of shows around the city for a long time. You know, I moved to the New York City area around uh, 2000. And um, uh, I met him, and, and he was very nice guy, very soft-spoken, extremely talented. Yeah. I'll tell you, there's something I, I read him... Something I read him, him saying, and it's always stuck with me, for, and it's particularly for a guy like me who has, let's just say that I've taken a, I've been in the batter's box a lot. Uh-huh. I've taken a lot of swings, have not gotten a lot of hits. You know, i gotten a couple. Okay? Okay. I got a couple of good, strong, I got a, you know, when, when I did Letterman, I got a home run, okay? But okay. I had a lot, I've had a few singles and some doubles, you know, but it's, um, but Daryl Hammond said once, he goes, he goes, I, I made a, I probably auditioned for a thousand things, and I only, I only got three things out of all the thousand that I auditioned for. He goes, two commercials and Saturday Night Live. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so it just reminds you that there's some of us, there's some people who, your niche is very narrow. But you just keep at it, and you will find the place that you need that, that you fit in. Yeah. And that's well, why I'm kind of excited about this dry bar thing. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a a, a, a well received show. I'm very, I've seen it. It looks very good. Yeah. And it's I, all of my, it's all of my, um, uh, all the material that I'm most proud of that I've, you know, I've worked on for my whole life. Well, and that's what I was telling you. Here's, it was the advantage. What's the you know? Sometimes you, I always say you know you got to look, you got to look for the positive side. You know of things. Uh, uh, I'm gonna hold on. One second. Can, you still, can you still hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. A, a little, a okay. little uh, scratchy, but I can still hear you. How about right now? Yes, sir. That's great. Is it clear now? Yes, sir. Good. So please call me Ross. Okay, I will. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm, I'm so, Southern. That's just that's how, so we, the, that's how we roll. That's okay. I, I understand. So the the um, the silver lining of having not become a big star, if you will, is that I've got this material that I have worked on and 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 performed for decades, and it's not like it just the joke locks down. And then it never changes. My things have a tendency to have a an organic quality to them. They, I got I got routines that have continued to grow and they morph and they change and they and they shift, and um, uh, it makes it for uh, for the people who like what I do really like what I do, Josh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I was able to basically get all of that stuff into this into this special. 
It's like That's 42 awesome. minutes, like 42 minutes long. And uh, I'm very proud of it. Very proud of it. I'm, I'm excited to see it. Cause like I said, uh, I, I like the dry bar because like, like I, I want my humor. I want to be able I want, I like it thought provoking and I like it relatively, you know, clean. And, and I just like the way you deliver. I like your style and everything. If, if I were to get into comedy, which is I, I gave it a crack, I wasn't very good at it. I'd like to I'd like to study under a guy like you. I figured you would probably uh, bring the most knowledge to to a guy well, like tell me, me. Tell me one of your jokes, Josh. Tell me one of the jokes you worked on. Oh my gosh, it's been years ago. I couldn't tell you when I was top of my head. Honestly, I I, I buried well, it. Way take a, take a moment. I want you to take. I want you to to, to relax. Remember, this is a podcast. The great yeah. thing about a podcast is you have all the time in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's you can't, true. you can't take too long on a podcast. That's it. So relax, take a moment and think. Because here's what we're going to do. I want, I just want to, I want to hear what it is, and we'll work on it the way I would work on with somebody in my class. Yeah. Uh, let me see. I'm trying to think. One of my, I, I said one of the cheesiest jokes ever was. Um, I, it was just like a one-liner. I said, um, "Go ahead. What is it?" It was. It, it wasn't even mine. I think I stole it. <laughs> like I said, I can't. Even, it was. Uh, how do you wake uh, Lady Gaga up from a nap? <laughs> you, you poke her face. You know that's just silly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, did you have anything about your family? Uh, like I said, I honestly, uh, my mind's drawn a blank. It was such an embarrassing time. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you I ever was, get? A, did you ever get any good laughs? I really didn't. I think I did one open mic and I bombed so bad I ran and never came back. Well, okay, I got it. <laughs> yeah, but I've always. Yeah, I'm sorry. The, Go ahead. The people in my class, you know, they 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 take it for different reasons. You know, for some of them it's it's like a bucket list thing, and for some people it's something they've always wanted to do, and um, and for some they're they're seeking something that they don't even know what they're seeking. You know. Yeah. Um, and uh, for me, when I got involved in this, it was – I've told people over the years that, that this is more like the priesthood. It's almost like a calling, uh-huh. you know, I, I because, you know, you do it – I certainly – if it was just about the money, I probably could have made more <laughs> doing almost anything else, okay? Okay. Uh, but there was, some, there was some other payment I was getting on a spiritual or a, uh, a psychic level that um, – uh, that makes it so you just stay in the game. Uh-huh. But, you know, you, you gave it a, you know, you, for you, I guess it sounds like it was something I just wanted to try it. It, it was because I can get laughs in a comfortable setting with like friends. And I thought, well, I'll just try to do it on the stage. And like I said, it was such a traumatizing moment. I can't even remember what I said. That's how traumatizing it was for me. You know, when I, when I give my, when I do my, my classes, the, um, my, my, one of the points to make is everybody has a sense of humor. Uh-huh. Everybody has a sense of humor, and everybody knows what it's like to say something with their friends and get a laugh. Most, most everybody knows that. But you know what a guy like me does, what you know the, a professional comedian does, is how do I take this thing and go up in front of people I don't know uh-huh. and say it in a way that they all get it. And then I can pre- and to do it at the level where I can guarantee people <laughs> that it's yeah. going to be there, uh-huh. and uh, and of course that's when that's when they start paying a little bit of money for it, you know, and when 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 they know that you can do it. Uh-huh. Um, so where'd you grow up, Josh? 
I grew up in Franklin, Tennessee, which uh, I grew up there before it grew to the Franklin it is now, um, about 30 minutes out of Nashville. And uh, and now I'm in Columbia, Tennessee, which is a little further out than that, a um, little, little rural-type farm-type place. But uh, I think I did a show in Franklin once. I could, yeah, I could believe it. They have a really nice Franklin Theater. They completely restored. Yeah. Uh, from like the the twenties or thirties, or probably the forties, and it's a really nice venue. You might have been there. Yep. I always uh, I always enjoyed my time in Tennessee. Yeah. I, I worked in Knoxville, and uh, and Memphis. Oh wow. That's cool. Over the years, there's a couple of clubs in Memphis. Oh really. I was, yeah, just in, I, I was just in Memphis uh, last January. I had a gig out in uh, Dallas, uh-huh. and I made it turned into a road trip. Took my son, and we drove across halfway across the country. And we stopped. We spent two days in Memphis uh, to go to Graceland. Cool. And, yeah, that's a cool place. Uh, it's about as good as it gets. Yeah, it's uh, that's a, that's an emotional tour there. And every time I go outside, I always see somebody crying, and, and I kind of feel sympathetic and start crying a little bit as well. You know what? You know what I get out of. I'll tell you what I get out of uh, when I've gone. I've gone to Graceland twice. Uh-huh. Is in comparing it to to what a modern day uh, rock star, what their life would be like. Uh huh. It was a very humble place. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, the rooms are. are you know, it's, there's much. It's you know that it was big for the time and it was uh, um, um, a, a, a rather lavish way to live for the time. But when you look at it from today, it's a very humble place. It's small. It's, um, it's quaint. Mm-hmm. It's quaint. And they've built this whole thing around it. And it's really just this, it's a, this little place. I mean, you can't imagine, you can't imagine Lady Gaga living there. Oh, absolutely. Or Beyonce okay. and Jay Z. <laughs> you can't, yeah, you can't imagine people. And he was just a, he was just a small town country boy. Absolutely. You know, and um, even with all of his faults that we all have, and you know, my friend Jeff Allen, he talks about. He goes, he goes, I'm a broken vessel. There's a lot of broken vessels out there, uh-huh. and that uh, at his heart, he was still, you know a country boy and he was a polite guy like you. Yes, sir. No, sir. He was just a nice guy. And, uh, I don't think he, he wasn't a mean person and he, he had a lot of love in him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, and the thing was, I guess just because of his, uh, you know, his need to perform and, and he was a people person, I guess he just burnt the candle at both ends and just couldn't handle it. Well, you know, it's as a, I have no. If I had been successful the way I wanted to be successful, I doubt we'd be having this phone call. Because <laughs> I could completely understand how, if you don't have anybody who has the ability to tell you no, uh-huh. your um, your darker elements in in your psyche uh, can really take over, you know, yeah. and can really you know take you you know someplace. Um, that's why when I, when I meet guys who are really successful guys I've met who are really successful, who have not gone crazy (laughs) (laughs) and who've been, and who've behaved appropriately. I'm always, they always impress me. 
You know, when I, you know, when you look at Leno and Seinfeld, they always impress me that, you know, they've, they've got these, um, they've got real lives and they you know they have their big lives, but at their heart, they're still just practical people, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really neat to see somebody like that. I mean, larger than life and, and, you know, see how they, you know, how they've made it like, and then you see people that, you know, they burn out too quick. Like you mentioned Kennison or even Robin Williams, everybody was in shock when, you know, he took his life, just people like that, just, or Chris Farley, even, you know, I saw in your credentials, you were at second city. I believe he was there too. I mean, he, he went way too early. Yeah. I mean, he, to be fair, I mean, guys like him and a lot of the, um, uh, guys like him and a lot of the, um, uh, set you know, live people and everything. They started in their city in their in their uh, early to mid twenties, uh-huh. and really learned improv and sketch comedy from the ground up. And um, until they were in a position to go to the you know to to go to this next place that so many of them went to, I went to Second City. I had already had I'd spent already spent twelve thirteen years headlining comedy clubs. Oh really? And I um and I had gone to live in Chicago and I had always wanted to, to study improv. And uh, so I I did t- I took the classes at Second City for a year and a half. I went through their program. I did my best to not tell them I was a working stand-up cuz improvisers and stand-ups often don't get along. <laughs> oh really? It's it's like the old westerns with the the uh cattlemen and the sheep herders, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They have they have two different ideas about how you should use the land, you know, and um, uh, but yeah, guys like Chris Farley, tremendously talented, very funny, no yeah. sense of of how to live a controlled life whatsoever, you know. Yeah, uh, boy, about as funny as they come. Yeah, he was uh, he was something else. Um, you know, and earlier, like I said, I, I wanted to circle around this and we got talking about other things, but I was watching your uh, YouTube channel and saw you actually got married at the comedy store. Has anybody ever done that before? That was, I thought that was so unique and it was awesome. I mean, what was that experience like? Well, you know, um, I got out to LA in, uh, January of 79. Okay. And I was 23 years old when I arrived there. Wow. And, um, and uh, what happened was uh, a young I, – I turned around. I was at the at the improv. I was only there for like a week or so, and I turned around one night. And there's this girl looking up at me. And, you know, unlike – and I've never had a girl look at me like that before in my life. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, I, I know that there's some guys, you know, there's who, who a lot of women just want. Yeah. And that has never been me. Me neither. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I believe, you know, when you talk about heaven and hell, uh, is to me, um, hell is is when you want to be that guy who um, every woman wants, but uh, you're not that guy. Yeah. And you spend your life ignoring the one or two women who who who, who love you. Because of this thing that you want, that's that's unobtainable. Okay. Okay. And um, and I turned around and I had this woman look at me like I've never had someone look at me before, and uh, we hit it off right away. We liter we literally, 
I moved in with her like the next day. How cool. <laughs> and uh, we got married uh, three years later at the comedy store. And um, I had sort of, you know, moved along and, you know, become established as an L.A. comedian at, at, at the time. And I was out working at the comedy clubs around the country. And um, uh, I, you know, I worked at the store and I spoke to Mitzi and we worked it out. So I got on, I, I, we got married at the store. That is so and nice. it was uh, a wonderful night, you know, I remember for the rest of my life. And I remember the, the two TV shows came to cover it. Two on the Town, which was, a, I think, a local TV show, and Entertainment Tonight. And there was like two film crews that were circling us on stage. If you watch the video, there's two film crews circling us on stage. Yeah. And, um, and then she and I, we stayed together. She, uh, we had a child. That was 1982, and we had a child in uh, 85. Uh, but she had uh, contracted uh, cancer. Oh, and uh, so, she, and she passed away in '86. Uh, I'm so sorry, um, I did not know that. So the uh, uh, the thing is, is that we we I have so many wonderful memories, uh-huh. you know, of just the excitement that we had, and you know, we were this this couple in our 20s, and we just we loved Los Angeles, and we loved uh, show business. And we loved each other. It was a great time. The comedy yeah. store was very cool to get married there. I, I bet because if if I ever get married again, <laughs> that's where I'd want to do it. <laughs> I just thought, wow, how cool is that? Some people they they want to get just five minutes up there, and here you are having a wedding. I mean, you must have been just the cat's pajamas to be able to do that. Well, I did my you know as as a comic, I've often tried to base a lot of what I do on some element of truth. And what I did is I took the marriage ceremony, the traditional marriage ceremony, mm-hmm. and I just added some lines to it that were essentially truthful light lines, and they were jokes. And um, and I and the minister who did it was willing to do it, and uh, it, it ended up being a very entertaining, but also very heartfelt evening. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I mean I've always felt that. When people do jokes that are outrageous, they know that they're not the truth truth. They know that they may be inspired by the truth, but they know they're not the truth. Mm-hmm. Okay? And uh, and so I've never had a problem with uh, doing satire on, uh, on, on something even – I remember there were some people – uncomfortable with our wedding ceremony. Just a couple of, of them out there who are very, um, I guess, very pious religious people, okay? Mm-hmm. And they thought we were mocking something. And, and for us, we were really just celebrating it. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it meant something to us. And um, and the people had a wonderful time. The people who saw it, I'll tell you right now, they'll never, they never forgot it for the rest of their life. Oh, no. I, I, I You know, that was one of the things I just thought it was cool. And and like appreciating comedy and humor, like I'm with you there. You could see the love involved and the happiness. But I mean, it's almost like it makes sense for two comics to be there doing that. And I thought it was perfect. I, I mean, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I wish I could have been there. I, I, what year was that? 1982. Yeah, that was the, my first year of the world. <laughs> <laughs> it so. was April 1st. It was April 1st of 1982. How cool is that? I was born October of 82. 
so let's see. April, yeah. Well, how, oh, April Fool's Day. How cool is that? That is too neat. Um, did you have any any uh, any comics in the audience? Did you have any uh, comics uh, in the wedding? Oh yeah, lots of uh, lots of folks yeah. were there. You know, it's funny. Kinnison and Kinnison was not a star yet. He was just another comic around the comedy store. And he was supposed to be the guy who do this to do, do to do the ceremony, because uh-huh. Sam was a minister. Yeah. And uh, but Sam uh, didn't show up for the rehearsal. Oh wow! And so I had another friend who had a a, a license to perform uh, ceremonies, and um, and he did it. Yeah. And he was also an actor, a real actor. Yeah, he I think nailed he it. Actually, yeah. He actually did a better job than Sam would because if Sam had done it, it would have turned into the Sam show. Yeah. With his screaming and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but Charlie, Charlie Murphy, wonderful guy. <laughs> um, not Charlie Murphy, who was Eddie Murphy's brother, but Charlie oh, okay. Murphy was, was the um, uh, an actor. Uh, he had a big heart, but he was an actor, so he was all about performing the lines. And of course, the thing was well written, and so uh, uh, he, he and he put in a, he put in like all good actors. He, he found a couple of moments that were his. You know, he makes the, they make the script come alive. Is what actors do. You know. Yes. Yeah. Great time. Yeah. He made yeah he made it very good. He made it about you all and the time and everything. And it was light, but it was also serious. I, I just thought it was well done. It just it floored me because I never would have thought, you know, somebody got married there. And like I said, looking down at your films and that was another. I was like, how cool! I had to watch it. So very, very, very neat. You know, I had a friend uh, who I went to high school with, um, Eric Eric Lowy. He's a minister now in uh, in the suburbs around in Indianapolis. He's got a wonderful church, and um, his daughter got married a couple of years ago and they wanted me to perform at their wedding oh yeah okay yeah they wanted me to perform at their wedding and she you know they'd seen my show and she liked what i did and and uh, you know because there's a there's a small town feel to my uh and a simple feel to my show and um they wanted me to perform at their wedding and so what could i say i went and did it and um, they did the ceremony, and and then they went and, and and they had the the reception right in the area where the at the church where they actually were the um, where the ceremony took place. And then I went up and I did forty five minutes. <laughs> and she goes because she wanted them to to experience something that they loved. And. Yeah. That he she goes it made it different and it made it so it was what they would remember for the people would remember this for for and they all were like that they they had never seen anything like that yeah and of course I I do a clean show but I'm telling you I was really being extra careful <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah you know because I'm on stage at a at a in a church yeah in a church in you know in front of a minister and his daughter. And they all have a wonderful sense of humor and everything, but it was uh, it was an interesting time. Yeah, that's that is awesome. That's too cool. Yeah, I never I've, I've seen people perform at churches. I've never seen it at a wedding. That's also unique. But but hey, I mean it's different. It's a change of speed because you know you expect like maybe a band or something. Never never a comedian. So that's awesome. The um, you know 
in the last 20-some years, uh, comedy has become very big on church, at churches. Uh-huh. And it's, there's some, you know, like, like Jeff Allen's a good example. There's some acts that have become very big. Uh, and particularly at these, at these large churches, these mega churches, I mean, they can, they got comics who can fill 5,000 seats at those places. Yeah. Um, guys like Michael Jr., I think Chandra Pierce, there's, there's just some wonderfully talented people. And uh, I've been I've been trying to get into churches for a few years with my stand-up, and uh, I've done a few. I've done a few. I don't know if that's where I'm supposed to be. I, I, I make the statement, you know, that if that if that if if God wants me in a church, there's nothing anybody can do to keep me out. But if He doesn't want me in the church, there's nothing I can do to get in. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so it's uh, I'm sort of in a uh, I'm I. I'm prepared and I'm ready and I always love to take the gigs there, but I I don't push it too hard because I just I just find the more I sometimes you know you push too hard and it just it never feels comfortable for me. Yeah, I uh, I have a dear friend. Um, he's a pastor and he does comedy. Um, he he's got about a, what he says a really strong tight thirty minutes. He took a class with uh, Rick Roberts here in Nashville. And that's what he does. He performs at churches for charities and things like that. He, What's his name? His name is Brandon Skelton, and he's Brandon. a pastor. Yeah, he's a Brandon Skelton. He's a pastor. Uh, he used to be a high school and a, or a middle school teacher, and now he is the general manager at a Planet Fitness uh, where I work part time. And he's a really great, funny comic, and he's on his way. And he just. He he has the church mentality and he just uses it to utilize and and does benefits and things like that. Really really talented guy. Uh, you got any any advice for a guy like him who's been at it maybe about a year or so? You know, and in, 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 in utilizing his uh, talent. No, if he if he's already doing it, he's doing just fine. <laughs> you know what I'm saying yeah. he's doing just fine. He's following. Uh, he's following what he's what he loves doing or what he's passionate about. So no, he's. He's doing just fine, Josh. Yeah, he would he would listen to this, so I I wanted to you know mention his name. Super super great guy, a lot of talent. The only and, thing I would tell him, and I and I'm assuming he's in this organization. There's an organization called the um, uh, CCA, the Christian Comedians Association. Uh huh. And Rick Roberts, I mentioned it because Rick Roberts was a past president of it. Oh and really? And if he studied with Rick, there's he's I know he's aware of it, and he's I, I might even met it because I I belong to it. And I've gone to some of the conferences. Uh, but that's a that's a great place for guys who are guys and when I say guys, I mean guys and gals, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, to to network um, around that world because you know there's two kinds of folks. There's Christian comics and there's comics who are Christians. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And uh, Christian comics tend to tell jokes about pews and hymnals. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, comics who have new Christians just they tend to do more uh, more worldly material, but they do it in a in a way that it's appropriate that they perform it in an appropriate manner for a church. Yeah, that's how he does. And, he has um, a knack, he has a knack to approach it from all ends. Um, yeah. you know, he had a worldly approach, but he's so good at it, and he's so clean. He's just—I don't see anything but big things for him. And like I said, he utilizes his talents for the for the better of man. I really respect him for that. Oh, good for him. Yeah. Uh, so let's uh, let's see. I had to, uh, yeah, we, you kind of brought it up in a in a few uh, you know segments while we we're talking, but you know, forty years of comedy. What what keeps you going? Uh, where do you draw inspiration from? 
You know, I heard on an interview once, it was Tony Bennett. Oh, wow. The uh, the singer. Yes. And he said, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Yeah, that's true. Okay. And so I've been fortunate to do this thing that I love. So um, it, it does not feel like work. All right? It really doesn't. I mean, I'm really doing what I'm passionate about. Uh-huh. Uh, what keeps me in it is, first off, what else would you have me do? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I've said that, said that, I'll say it to people on stage, you know, from the, what, what else do you have me do? Would you want to be with me at the, at the post office? You know? <laughs> um, so I, I've never had anything else that I've, I've really expected that. Um, and I started doing this so young, um, you know, the only other skills I have, I can sell something on eBay if you need me to. Okay. Um, but there's not a lot of other things that I'm really, I'm really involved with. Um, so what keeps, what keeps me in it is, see, I told myself a long time ago that as long as the phone rings, cause I tried, I, I tried to get out of this once around 1989 or 1990. I decided I was going to do something else, okay? And I was going to be a fireman. Oh, yeah? And um, so I set a date and I uh, to stop doing stand-up, and I stopped taking gigs, and I uh, took the test to become a, stand- to be- become a fireman in uh, Northern California. And I did all the physical tests. I was like, I was, all the physical tests and all the tests, and I always tested well, Josh. You know, some people test really well, like the SATs and the like. And I studied everything about water pressure and about, you know, firemen and all the things you had to know. And I learned how to do all the things, you know, how to carry the ropes upstairs and the 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 the, the, uh, the hose upstairs and uh, how to, you know, put on the equipment. There was all these tests you had to take uh, for time, you know, timing and everything to see if you, you know, uh, as they were looking for the people – fill in positions for the fire department and it was in northern california and there was a test coming up and 400 people took the test wow and i came in seventh and they were and they were hiring three oh my gosh so um i ended up taking a job at minimum wage in a little factory making a, a microscopic uh, instrument, making, basically I was making the tips for welding equipment for, um, uh, for computers to make computer boards. Okay? Huh. okay. And I worked there for a month at minimum wage. <clears throat> and so I was probably making $200, maybe $175 a week take home. <clears throat> and what happened was, I just said to myself, you know, if I just did one gig on a Saturday night, I would make more money on that one gig than I do for the 40-hour week. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and because I would like it, it, being back at that time, I get $200 for a Saturday night. So I put the word out to a couple of agents, and I get a phone call, and I go into a Saturday night, and then I do another Saturday night. And the thing is, I hate to say it's almost like being a prostitute. It's awful hard for prostitutes <laughs> to stop to stop doing what they do yeah. because there's so much money. Yeah. 
Okay. Where else can they, can they make $100 for an hour? Yeah. You know, it's a horrible thing to say, and I'm not looking at it from a moral standpoint, but that's one of the problems that they have is that what am I going to do to make the kind of money that I've been making? Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, I just said to myself, okay, I do, I'm a comic. This is what I do. As long as the phone rings and people want to hire me, this is what I will do. And if God wants me to do something else, then the phone will stop ringing and I'll go and do something else. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like 1989 or so. And uh, like what, 30 years ago. And uh, the phone hasn't, the phone hasn't stopped ringing. There's been some, there's been some dry times. Don't get me wrong, but this is what I've been doing. And I, I just accept that this is what I do, Josh. Yeah, and uh, I, I I enjoy it. Yeah, well, it's 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 uh, it's definitely a, you definitely serve it well. It, it fits, so uh, you know, and we're really excited to have you here. And, and if and you I'm ever really... want, I'll tell you, if you ever want to have a job that that re, that requires you to have faith in God, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> this is the one. Oh yeah, because it's not an you know it's not a regular job. You're you're counting on individual gigs. And you know, you you look at my calendar going forward, and there's there's some big dry patches. Okay, if I look at my calendar going backwards, it fills in pretty good. I've I've been taken care of pretty pretty much, but it requires an awful lot of faith when you look at a calendar with like just a big blank, a big blank uh, uh, field in front of you, a big blank desert in front <laughs> of you. Yeah. Somehow those things are going to get filled in, but yeah. they get filled in. That's very cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my, you know, my life is just a comfy, cushy. I know when I have to go to work and I know when I get to come home. <laughs> what do you do, Josh? You work, you uh, work at Planet Fitness. Well, I work there part-time on the weekends. I work seven days a week. But during the week, I have the exciting job of delivering paint at Sherwin-Williams. Good paint. Yep, it's been around forever. It uh, it, it keeps me busy. I, I never have any dull times, and it pays the bills and allots me to uh, hobby Moonlight as a uh, a podcaster, which to me is a barrel of fun. The uh, I recently had had my kitchen and dining room painted, and the painter who who did it for me, we got our paint at Sherwin Williams. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you. That keeps us floating. Good paint. Yep, uh, we uh, take a lot of pride in it. I uh, I just deliver it, but the guys that you know mix it and shake it up and add to it, they uh, they really uh, put a the lot. The funny of thing it. is, when I was on the road, I was talking. I went into a Benjamin Moore because I heard Benjamin Moore was real good paint, uh-huh. and uh, the woman recommended these these colors to me. Okay, yeah. and and we worked out these two different colors that was going to be the for these two different rooms. And but when I hired the painter, he didn't use Benjamin Moore. He used Sherwin Williams. Oh yeah. So we so we took the Benjamin Moore paints to Sherwin Williams, and of course they have the ability to match the things. Uh huh. <laughs> so I chose the colors of Benjamin Moore, but I had them processed at Sherwin Williams. I hear you. All right. Well, hats off to you. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, we had a we had a guy come in today actually who. Uh, had some paint he had purchased from a competitor and uh, wanted it mixed and tinted, and we just did it just because he wanted to have it done at our place. <laughs> so, 
you know, he takes all kinds of kinds, I suppose. Delusia? No, I'm right here, man. Oh, you're right there. Here. All right. Well, I guess that'll wrap it up. Hey, I thank you for spending this hour with me. It was very insightful, and I've oh, learned a lot. Josh, I can't, you know, I enjoyed it. And uh, tell everybody, so here's the things. Yep. They can um, go to my website, rossbennett.com. Sure. And that's my general website. You can find me on Facebook. Okay, yeah. I have a fan page. Um, uh, and that will keep you informed in terms of everything I have coming up. Look for me on Dry Bar Comedy, and they can get my uh, CDs. Nice. I've got two CDs. One of them plays all the time on um, Sirius XM on the comedy channels. But uh, you can get them, I think, on iTunes. And my first one was called New York Country. Cool. And uh, that one's uh, very popular. And my new one is um, not if you were the last man on earth. <laughs> and <laughs> and that one's fun too. Yeah, that sounds awesome. So you go to okay. rockminute.com and get all this stuff. Well, yes, uh, Ross, I appreciate it. Safe travels, and we look forward to getting you here in Nashville and, and checking out your show. Yeah, uh, you gonna come to the show? You gonna come to the show? I'm gonna try my absolute best to be there. If I am, all well, right. you'll know it. I'll, I'll come get a picture with you if you'll let me. You bet, man. I look forward to meeting you. All right, safe travels. Thank you. You bet. Bye. All right, bye. that wraps up another edition of the Josh Belcher Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Belcher. Once again, thanking you from the bottom of my heart for listening to my little podcast. I love it very much. If you keep enjoying it, I'll keep making them. Special thanks to this week's guests, Presley and Taylor, the country sister singers, who was the first time ever on a podcast, and we were very proud to have them. So thanks to them. Also thanks to the foremost expert of Bigfoot in North Carolina, John Bruner, talking with us and discussing his festival coming up there uh, real soon there in the foothills of North Carolina, and stand-up comedian Ross Bennett, who's coming to Zany's Nashville with his Dry Bar Comedy uh, October the 17th. He'll be there, Zany's Nashville. Uh, Remember, I love you for you and where you're at in life. Have a great start to your week, and we'll catch you next time. Okay, bye.